Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, glory and dominion forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you please join me in prayer? word and thank you that your word that you have promised that your word uh, lord will never end and lord we come to your word this morning asking that you would give to us ears that hear minds that understand hearts that believe and feet hands that obey but i decrease that you may increase i become less that you can become more be glorified in christ I do uh, greet you once again, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I welcome you once again on this Sabbath as we continue our study through the apocalypse of John. I'd like for you to take note of this. The letter of Revelation proclaims the victory of Christ. Don't let that be far from your minds as we're studying through this letter. It proclaims the victory of Christ. It also proclaims the triumphant return of Christ and therefore encourages every believer of every age in the face of tribulation. Revelation, for all of its signs and for all of its symbols, Revelation for all that uh, appears to be concealed is intended to be a pastoral letter from the great shepherd of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that as we walk through this letter and I'll say to you uh, what I've said to some of the members earlier this morning, the same attitude that I had toward Genesis is the same attitude that I have toward Revelation. I am in no hurry. Uh, We will be here until we're done or until the Lord takes us home. (laughs) There is, though, a certain structure to this letter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 8, is what is called the prologue. It's what is known as the prologue. Prologue simply means uh, introduction. It's the prologue. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, to Revelation 22, verse 9, is called the body. And Revelation 22, 6 through 21 is really the epilogue. And there's some overlap there, obviously. There's, uh, epilogue is, is uh, concluding remarks, if you will, conclusion. Last week, we considered the first three verses of this letter, and today we're doing essentially the the same thing, except we're not considering three verses, we're only considering two, uh, verses four through six. With God's help, we shall consider three points for our contemplation. Number one, let's do this together. Number one, grace. to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he confesses in verse 10, is addressing seven churches that were located in the province of the Roman Empire. So when we're thinking of 
the seven churches of Asia. Don't think of Japan or China. Rather, it is what is known as modern-day Turkey. It's called Asia Minor. Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And while this letter was addressed to these seven churches, this letter is for all of the people of God for all times. James Ramsey comments, John to the seven churches of Asia is equivalent to Jesus Christ to the churches of every people and age and therefore to us. But one might ask, if this, seven, if this letter is written to seven churches, why are we able to apply this letter to us? Because the letter is meant to represent not seven dispensations of time. You will remember, though, that seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of fullness. Therefore, these seven churches are intended to symbolize, remember symbolism throughout this letter, all the church throughout all of time until Christ returns. What we find in the opening verses is what is found in the in most of the New Testament verses or epistles. It is a salutation, that is a, a greeting, and also a blessing. It's a salutation, a greeting, and a blessing to the churches. Uh, I say it's found in most of the New Testament epistles because there is one exception uh, where there is no salutation really. It goes straight into the teaching. That's the, the letter to the Galatians. Uh, John, like the other writers of the epistles, <clears throat> he warmly greets his audience. And he does so with a spiritual blessing. It is a spiritual blessing of grace and peace. There is a spiritual blessing of being extended to the churches of that time and therefore to you today of grace and peace. Grace and peace that is merited by Christ and bestowed, given by our triune God. Or we could say bestowed by the triune God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the spiritual blessing that has been bestowed to us by our triune God through Christ? As we said last week, it's not monetary. It's not silver and gold. The spiritual blessing, it's spiritual. Therefore, it is incorruptible. It is grace and peace. The contents of the blessing bestowed to the church then and to the church today and to the church of all times is that which cannot be purchased by silver and gold. It is, dear ones, grace and peace. And this grace, let's begin with grace, it has a variety of applications and they are all true for all believers. And since this is true for all believers... We have reason for great cheer this morning when we consider the grace of God to you. Let's consider a few things about the grace of God. It is the virtue or the perfection of God. We can give grace, but not perfectly and not like God. God perfectly dispenses grace. It is one of his perfections. God is gracious, and the grace of God has been extended to unworthy creatures such as you and I. Grace, it also refers to the extended, unmerited favor of God. Extended, unmerited, unworked for, undeserved favor that God shows to you and I. It's favor that's not based upon our righteousness. But it is favor that is based upon the righteousness and the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given, not because of anything in us, the grace of God. That we may no longer be called children of wrath, but children of God. We sang a moment ago that we could sing, Abba, Father. That's not all. 
Grace also denotes power. Power. Uh, Not power to run faster than a speeding bullet. Uh, Not power to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Power that is found in the operation of the Spirit of Christ within the people of Christ. Uh, The operation of the Spirit is displayed as He as he is doing now, sanctifies us by his word. The power of God is going forth. Uh, Through the power of God and through the spirit of God, we are able to endure testing of our faith because of the power of the spirit of God. By the spirit of God, we are able to produce by his spirit, his power, fruit in our lives. And all of this results in becoming more like Christ and being readied for glory where we will meet Christ. You have been given power, dear ones. You who are in Christ have power. It is power by the Spirit. This morning to hear the word and to respond to the word by obedience. That's by the power of God that's been given to you. You have power to hear the word this morning. How many do you know that you've shared the word with? And they have not the power to hear it. You have power to hear God's word this morning. And power to obey it. There was a time when you did not have power to hear. Nor power to obey. But God has given you spirit. His spirit. To not only hear, but to obey. Through the Spirit's power infused in you. Listen to what comes about. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. All of these pour forth from your life by the power within you. The Spirit of God. What is more, because of the grace of God, you have been given power by the Spirit of God to resist, resist to say no to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. You now have power to say no to sin. Where before, you had no power to say no to sin. By the power that lives within you, the Spirit of God, you now have the power to say no to sin. You and I, in our former depravity, could only say yes to sin. We only knew how to obey sin. We were shackled, slaves to sin. But now, you have the power to say no. You are now free, and freedom is power, To turn away from the wickedness that once enslaved you. Praise be to God for the power that now lives within you. Herman Hoeksema paraphrasing this opening salutation like this. He says, may God through Christ by the spirit operate with his grace in your heart. So that the gifts of grace, the benefits of salvation may become yours. Dear saints. We are always, always in need of this grace. Always, not just when we gather for worship. But always, we are in need of this grace. The grace of God that has freed you from sin. The grace of God that produces fruit in your life. Uh, The grace of God that enables you to say no to sin. We need that all the time. Husbands, you need this grace all the time. As you shepherd your families. Wives, you need this grace all the time as you help your husband and shepherd your children as well. Uh, Single ones, you need this grace as you devote your time And affections to Christ. All of us. We need this grace when we work. 
Uh, we need this grace when we are at home. We need this grace at all times and in all ways. We are always in need of this grace. And thanks be to God that grace is not given to us today alone. And then once received, we are in need of it no longer. Not so. We live in constant need of this grace. And there is, by the grace of God, to his children, a constant influx, a constant pouring out of this grace from God to his children. Praise be to God. Imagine if God was to fill us up once and say, let's see how long you can go. But by the grace of God, there is a constant infusion, a constant influx of the grace of God in our lives. God provides for us an ever refreshing stream of grace. An ever refreshing stream of grace through Christ our Lord. Are you not being refreshed this morning? Was it not refreshing to see the saints? Was it not refreshing to hear the word of God read? To sing the word of God and now to hear the word of God preached to your souls and later to partake of the supper. There is a constant stream, a constant influx, a constant refreshing stream of grace from God. By faith, we are receiving grace right now through his word. Are you coming to his word this morning by grace? Are you coming to his word this morning by faith? Are you hearing the word of God or are you simply just here? Are you receiving the word of God? I pray that as you receive the means this morning, that they would be streams of grace that nourish your soul. One of the chief fruits of this grace is peace. Brother Dustin spoke about it a few moments ago. What is this peace? Oh, the word itself. It causes some of us to, to be choked up. Just hearing the word peace. Because for so many of us, we go to bed without it. For so many of us, we walk through our days and through our lives without it. Well, what is it? When God, through his word, speaks about peace, we need to have a right understanding of what he means by peace. Peace is. And always is. Peace with God. Peace is. And always is. Peace with God. Why? Because apart from peace with God, there is no real peace. Apart from peace with God, there is no real peace. Contrary to the false wisdom of this world. Peace is not being comfortable in your own skin. There's a young man who I'm related to. I met with a family member this past week on accident. Speaking about this young man that we're related to, this unbeliever said, I love the way he's so comfortable in his own skin. I think he's so cool. This young man is a 16, 17 year old who's wrestling with his sexual identity. He doesn't have peace with God. And he also doesn't have peace within himself. He may think he does. But contrary to the false wisdom of the world, peace is not being comfortable in your own skin. It's not looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I love me. We're all fading. You may love you now. But take a look at yourself 20 years from now. You will say, my God, my God, what has happened to me? We are fading away. 
Peace does not come when you start liking yourself. Peace also doesn't come when you start loving yourself contrary to the false, I say it again, false wisdom of the world. Peace is not a physical place to go to. Peace is also not found when all of your earthly debts are settled. It's only when your heavenly debt is settled. That is when you will know and have true peace. Pursuing all of those false pursuits of peace will always end up in that unbeliever awakening to the cold and cruel reality of a world of war and unrest. Isaiah 57, 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But what does Paul say? Romans 5, 1, but being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want peace? Go to Christ. Because only in Christ will you find any kind of peace. The only real place of peace and tranquility of heart and mind is found in Christ who gives us the awareness by faith that we have peace with God. That through Christ, the judgment that was upon us has been removed. Our sins have been blotted out. By the perfect work of Christ, we are justified by faith in Him. And by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Isn't it good to know? Isn't it good to know that we who are fading, who at any moment could expire, could have absolute peace because we know by faith that when we leave this earth, when we fly away, we will fly away home And we will be at peace with God. That we will stand before Him. Not guilty. But justified by faith in Christ. Oh dear one. If that does not give you peace. If that is not cause for cheer. Then I don't know what is. Because Solomon will say in the book of Ecclesiastes. The man who did and tried everything. Vanity, vanity. All his vanity. But there is one thing that will bring true peace. It is faith in Christ alone. And peace is not only, praise be to God, that God is at peace with us. But it is also that we, we are at peace with God. By the grace of God, we we are no longer haters of God. God, first, is not against us, praise God. And we, second, are not against Him. There was a time. When we did not love him. But we love him because he first loved us. For some of us, there was a point when we wrongly but sincerely believed that there was no God. We could survey and go around. One of our dear members uh, could say there was at one point where he would say, I was wrestling with Pastor Isaiah, even one of I was wrestling with. The false idea of atheism. For for some of us, there was a point in our lives when we we doubted the belief of God or uh, the existence of God. For some of us, there was a time when we doubted the love of God. Some of us were among the fools who said in our hearts, there is no God. And even if we did believe in God, we were like those described by Paul in Romans as having no fear of God. We cursed him. We defiled his name with the heathen. But praise be to God that he has brought us out from among them. That we are no longer counted among the heathen, but we are among the righteous. Praise God that we now love him. Imagine this. There was a true time when you did not love God. There was a time when you did not love him. But did you know this, dear saints? There has never been a time for those who are his when he did not love you. 
The scriptures say that he has loved you with an everlasting love. There was a time when you did not love him, but there has never been a time for those who are his when he did not love you. Think of all of your schemes and all of your evil deeds. And he was using them all to draw you to himself. So that you might know we love him. Not because we first loved him. But because he first loved us. He is at peace with us and we are at peace with him. We are now the blessed peacemakers from the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. We are now those who know what it is and who are poor in spirit. Those who know our need for God, our desperate bankruptcy without him. We are, by the grace of God, the salt and light of the earth. Dear saints, this grace and peace is pronounced to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And this grace and peace is pronounced to all the church of all time until Christ returns. May I say to you again, grace and peace to you. As you leave this morning, let that resound in your hearts and in your souls. Grace and peace. Let us keep this in mind. In spite of the tribulation that, that all of the church for all of the ages will face. There is a word, a blessed word from Christ to you. Grace and peace. From who? Number two. From our triune God. Uh, let's read. Grace to you and peace from him who is and him who was and him who is to come. From the, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Dear saints, uh, we have seen the grace and peace of God that has greatly encouraged us. And let us not lose sight of this tremendous fact for one moment. Grace and peace is from Him. Grace and peace is from Him. Listen to what John says. From Him who is. From Him who was. And Him who is to come. This is our triune God. He is the author of grace and peace, the source of grace and peace. It is from him. Here we are given this, what is known as the Trinitarian formula. The Trinitarian formula. Here it is. John says grace and peace comes from him who was and is and is to come. These first refer to the father. Alluding to the words that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Him who was, who is, was, and is to come, that is the Father. Remember, Moses asked for the name of God when God sent him to Egypt to uh, set the people of Israel free, the people of God. Moses said, who shall I say has sent me? The response of God was, say I am is sending you. Say to this people, the I am has sent you. If John were asked, John, who is sending you to write these seven churches and to all the church of all time? John could rightly respond with Moses saying, I am has sent me or the God who is has sent me. He is God who is eternal. He is the self-existent one. He is the one whose being is and of himself. That is the ase one. He is the uncaused one. A one in whom there is no change or shifting shadow. Dear ones, this is the one who gives you grace and peace. 
take the phrase in whom there is no change or shifting shadow and apply that to the grace and peace that he gives to you. Are you not glad that the one who changes not is also the one who, who, who the one who extends to you grace and peace? Meaning this. Because he changes not. So also the grace that he extends to you, the peace that he extends to you will not also change. He has extended peace to you. It will not change. He extended grace to you. It will not change. Just as the children of Israel needed to know I am has come to them. And that he is. Forever. The ruling and reigning God over all of history. Comes to the children of Israel. And says to them. The one who rules over all and reigns over all is extending grace and peace to you. And so here are we. All of these centuries later, the one who changes not comes to you this morning and says, grace and peace, I extend to you. Richard Phillips says in his commentary, threatened, opposed, and persecuted by those in power, they were nevertheless to rejoice in the knowledge of their eternal God and His unceasing rule over all of history. Grace and peace are not only extended from the Father who rules and reigns over all of history, but from the seven spirits who are on or before His throne. How can this eternal grace and peace be possessed by us? It is because it is instilled in our hearts, listen, by the seven spirits who are before the throne of God. Now, let us not be confused at this point. The seven spirits that are before the throne of God is, not are, is the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits before the throne of God are not seven uh, new persons of the Trinity. It is the one but third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is presented here as being equal with the Father and the Son in this Trinitarian blessing. Listen to what it says. Grace and peace be to you from Him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits, there's an equality there. And from Jesus Christ our Lord, there's an equality there that the extension of grace and peace is being extended to our triune, eternal, and equal God. He's the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not and knows him not. He is the comforter who abides with us forever. Commentators agree that John is most likely drawing. Now, where is he getting this? This is important. Remember, we talked about how Revelation has a number of not cut and paste from the Old Testament, but allusions to the Old Testament. So this is an Old Testament allusion of Zechariah chapter four, wherein uh, there are uh, drawing this image of seven spirits before the throne of God in which the ministry of the Holy Spirit is depicted by a lampstand in Zechariah with seven bowls shining into the darkness seven bowls shining into the darkness it is the ministry of the holy spirit in zechariah 4 remember also seven is the number of completion it's the number of fullness the seven churches are meant to symbolize the church of all times and of all ages the church here through these seven is meant to communicate the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst all the church for all time. It's meant to communicate the fullness or the completeness of the presence of the Holy Spirit for all time. Listen, the Holy Spirit is among us. That might cause some of us to look around and say, where? I I don't see him. Remember that we are tangible beings. 
We like to look, see, feel, taste, touch. We are tangible beings. But this is a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth that is not tangible. And yet, there is something really happening now. And also, there is someone really present now. (laughs) In worship the other day, we said to our children, if God were to wake you up in the middle of the night, would you not be all ears as to whatever he was to say? Yes. Even if he said tomorrow, get the cheese pizza, not the pepperoni. You would be all ears because God spoke to me, even if it was something as as potentially insignificant as the cheese or the pepperoni. God may be telling you that one's poison, that one's not. But you would be all ears because God is speaking to you. Dear ones, what do we believe about the word of God as it goes forth when it is rightly taught? We believe that Christ is speaking to us. And these are weightier matters than over which uh, toppings to have on your pizza. Christ is calling us to understand the source of grace and peace. And he's able to communicate it. You're able to hear and to believe and to understand. Do you know how? By the present work of the Holy Spirit among us. How are you able to learn and to grow and to understand this morning? Not because you're smart. Although all of you are. It's because you are enabled by the Spirit of God to perceive and to know. Don't let that ever stop causing you to be in awe. How do I know what I know? Is it because I just read more than everyone else? Possibly. But you are only able to know what you know because the Spirit of God enables you to know. There are false men like Bart Ehrman who've read over the Scriptures, read over the Scriptures, and yet will still deny the authority and the infallibility of the Scriptures. He's not enabled to know by the Spirit of God. You are. You are. He, this morning, is giving us eyes and ears to see and to hear. The Spirit of God is empowering you to conquer the world, the flesh, and the devil through faith in Christ. This is the work of the Spirit among you. He's sanctifying us in holiness. You are, by the Word and by the Spirit, looking at sin and more and more detesting it and saying, I do not find any delight in that any longer. He's conforming you to Christ. The sevenfold spirit. He is complete and among us. He is providing power by which Christ's church serves as lampstands. We are light when we go out into the world. We are light when we go out into the world. We are shining into the darkness. A world of unbelief should be able to see your light and either be repulsed by it or drawn to it. You are either an aroma of life or death. But we are, you are called to be an aroma of life. You are called to be salt. You are called to be light when you exit this world, or this place, into the darkness of the world. Praise be to God. The Holy Spirit dwells among us. And then John gives an emphasis. We're talking about the Trinitarian formula. John gives an emphasis to the Son of God. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This prominence of Christ, it it is given to him throughout this entire letter. Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. Remember you, to its members, to the church, to you and to me. Grace and peace from Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear sojourners, when you are tempted to believe that grace and peace cannot be yours, fasten your eyes upon Christ. Fasten your eye upon the faithful witness. Fasten your eye upon the firstborn of the dead. Fasten your eye upon the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the faithful witness. There's this threefold description of our Christ. He is the faithful witness. 
He perfectly reveals God and His salvation to a darkened world. Christ is the witness to this. He's the perfect witness. You and I are imperfect witnesses. Our families are looking for those moments when we are imperfect. You're supposed to be a Christian. But Christ is the faithful witness. Being eternally one with the Father and the Spirit, Christ, the Son of God, is able to make God known to us. Jesus says in John 3.11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. He said to Pilate in John 18.37, To this end I was born, for I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Christ revealed God's holiness through His perfect obedience to the law. Christ revealed the wisdom of God in His teaching. Christ revealed the power of God in His miraculous works. But dear ones, it was the death of Christ. It was in the death of Christ where Christ bore witness to the grace and peace extended to the needy sinners, you and I. Christ's atoning death. You know what it reveals? It reveals just how devastating our sin is. That it would cost the perfect Son of God His life that we might be forgiven. The devastating offense of sin to to our God, the God of heaven and earth, is revealed in the perfect sacrifice of the only innocent one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that John proclaimed can only be received by faith in that work. In the doing and dying and rising, ascending and being seated at the right hand of majesty on high of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through faith in Christ, you have grace and peace. John writes... Of Christ as a faithful witness to encourage the people of Christ who were about to experience persecution because of their testimony to Christ. Christ was the faithful witness, the the faithful testifier. The church was about to experience persecution because of their witness, because of their testimony. Christ was the faithful witness and suffered because of his witness. The church then and now the church through all time will suffer persecution because of our witness, because of our faithfulness to Christ. The servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you. When you feel ostracized at work, when they say to you, you believe that? Why do you believe that? How could you believe that? When they say among your friends, you're a a Christian? And you feel... A pause or a hesitation to be associated with what the people of God have believed for all time. Yes, you are experiencing, maybe not to the degree of all of the saints of all times, you are experiencing a degree of persecution. Be a faithful witness. Be a faithful witness. Give a faithful testimony. Do not shrink back. There is a blessing for those who do not compromise their witness. Part of it is grace and peace. Christ was the faithful witness declaring God's grace and peace to a sinful dying world. And let us not fail to bear witness to his perfect work. Listen, come what may. He's the firstborn from the dead. Very simply this. He's the one who conquered death by his resurrection. And who now rules and reigns over all. When John says he's the firstborn of the dead. This guarantees that there will be a secondborn from the dead. A thirdborn from the dead. And so on. He's the firstborn. And there will many be many sons brought to glory thereafter. All who are joined to him in saving faith. They will be, we will be resurrected in glory. 
you will be resurrected one day. It will be, some say, will I have my hair back? Uh, will I finally have the, the physique that I like, that I want? Those are, those are vain things. It will be so much better than you could, than what this world deems as being beautiful. It will be better than what this world deems as being acceptable. Do not allow the world to determine what what is beautiful or not. When you are in your glorified state, resurrected from the dead, it will be better than you could ever even imagine. The resurrection of Christ through this displays grace and peace to his people. He's enthroned at the right hand of the Father, ensuring by his unending priestly mediation that there is always, always, by his priestly mediation, because he intercedes for us as our priest, there, therefore it guarantees there is always grace and peace for those who believe. Paul said in Romans 8.34, Therefore who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then John describes Christ's royal authority. He is this ruler of kings on the earth. And here's another uh, allusion to the Old Testament. Psalm 89, 27. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. You see, it's not a cut and paste, but it is a, a clear allusion. When Christ, or when John proclaims, this is important, it's all important, but this is uh, unique. When John proclaims that Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth, think about this. Where is John when he writes this? He's been exiled. He's been exiled to an island called Patmos because of his faithful witness. Who has done the exiling? The rulers of the kings of the earth of that day. And John in his proclamation, in his proclaiming the preeminence of Christ, says about Christ, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's an indictment against Domitian, who was the Roman emperor who exiled John. It's an indictment against Domitian. You are not the ruler. Christ is the ruler of all of the kings of the earth, of all of the presidents of the earth. Of every magistrate all over the world. Christ rules them all. Domitian had this false claim. He was requiring that he be declared and called Lord and God. The letter is being sent to seven churches. Who are on the cusp of persecution. from, From a man who claimed for himself a false title. Lord and God. And would require everyone in the Roman Empire to honor him with such praise. James Hamilton writes comments about Domitian. Listen to this. Imagine living in a world ruled by a man who would leave his brother to die, seduce his own niece, kill people for making jokes about him. How many of us would be dead? And then demand to be addressed as Lord and God. Now pause for a second. Our brothers and sisters were living in that world during that time. Would you please not disconnect yourself from them? They are your brothers and sisters. And they were about to see an increase of persecution as the emperors began to direct more and more malice toward them. It was only going to get worse from Nero to Domitian and onward. The letter was written to that church so that they could be reminded that the man who sits in Rome is under someone else's authority. He's not Lord and God. Christ is. He's not Lord and God. Christ is above all powers, all kings, all thrones. Christ is seated on the throne of thrones. 
So be not dismayed when the civil magistrates try to flex their, their, their muscles as if they are the ultimate ones in control. They are not. Grace and peace to you. How? Because Christ is on the throne. Not Biden. Not Trump. Uh, what's the Californian governor who's uh, about to be out? I don't even know his name. That's how much honor he deserves. This is grace and peace from the Father. Grace and peace from the Spirit. Grace and peace from the Son. Who is the word of truth. The Son who conquered death. The Son who reigns to save His people. Who bear faithful witness to His name. Alexander McLaren says, His dominion rests upon love and sacrifice. And so His kingdom is a kingdom of blessing. And of gentleness. And He is crowned with the crowns of the universe. Because he was the first crowned with the crown of thorns. His first regal title was written upon the cross. And from him or from the cross, his royalty ever flows. He is the king. He is the king. He reigns forever. That he might send grace and peace to those who call upon his name. He is the great prophet who bears the true testimony of God's grace and peace. He is the great priest who reigns forever above and who intercedes in the presence of God the Father by His very presence. Securing grace and peace for those who pray in His name. And Jesus is the great King under whose royal seal God provides grace and peace for all time. Revelation 5.13 To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And let's conclude with this. Grace and peace has been extended to us. Why? Because He loves us. Verse 5. To Him who loves us. And released us from our sin by His blood. And has made us to be a kingdom. Priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dearly beloved saints, did you not come this morning to hear this? Jesus loves you. In all of the things that we have learned this morning, in all of the things that God has called us to do in our worship, are they not all proclaiming this? Jesus loves you. It is ever so simple. And it is infinitely profound. Jesus loves you. Did you not come this morning so that in our prayers. In our song. In our reading of the word. In our preaching of the word. In the partaking of the supper. That these words would penetrate your and my soul. Jesus loves me. He really does. Christ loves you. You can search all of the world. For someone. To just love you. And there is only one who infinitely does and will. Perfectly. I love my wife, but I could never love her the way Christ loves her. I could never, Pastor Isaiah said this months and a while ago, I could never say to my wife what Christ says to her. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will leave her eventually. When this soul departs from this body, I pray that that, that that never happens, that that she would never have to feel that pain. And that I would never have to feel the pain of her leaving me. But there is one who has given to us a marital promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us.
that He will love us with an everlasting love. He's loved you in the past. He loves you today. And He loves you tomorrow. Is it not a blessed thought to know this? There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to the list. No death. No life. No angel. No principality. No power. No things present. No things to come. No, no height. No, no depth. No creature in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. We sometimes have insecurities with the relationships that we have on this earth. We sometimes wonder, will there be something to separate us? I hope there will never be anything to separate us. Oh, dear one, there is a promise from God that in Christ there is nothing that will ever be able to separate you from his love. No doubt we will be in Revelation for 2,000 years. (laughs) And in all of the intricacies that we learn, I pray that you would hold this up above them all. Not above them all, but high. Jesus loves me. It's simple, isn't it? This I know. For God in his infinite eternal word tells me so. Listen to James' voice on how he describes Christ's love. So great. So giving. So winsome. So victorious. So infinite. That we can only marvel at it. It is a love that reaches the heights of divine holiness to the pit of human depravity to save and keep us from sin. Great, Jim. And that doesn't even come close. That's only just human expression of of how great it really is. Good job, Jim. Doesn't even come close. It's nice. Doesn't even come close to how good it is. I used his because his is better than mine. It's a love that is so utterly precious that God would offer his only begotten son that we might not perish but have eternal life. Our triune God has expressed his love for us in offering the blood of his incarnated son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we would be released from sin. In all of the writings of the of the Apostle John, he never mentions the love of God without immediately presenting the death of Christ for our sins. Anytime love is mentioned, Christ is expressed or shown as he has expressed his love for us in his death. They're never far apart. The blood of Christ atones for our sin. He pays our sin debt. The application of his atoning work not only liberates us from the guilt of sin, but also from the dominion of sin and the corruption of sin. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We've been loosed from sin's power, dear ones. Sin no longer has power over you. Sin has no authority over you. The bondage of sin and its chains have been removed. Shackles have been broken. He set the captives free. We sing the song, don't we? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. And what's the chorus? Amazing love. How can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Grace and peace to you. Why? Because he loves you. Is it because you're lovely? 
because he is lovely. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley because he is lovely. He has given grace and peace to you and I. And we are free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Free from condemnation, free from fear, free from guilt, free from shame, free from sin and the influence thereof. Uh, not free from the trials of this world. But the trials that we face, they do not have the power to steal your joy. The trials that you face do not have the power to steal your joy. Like the old timers say, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. And what is more, in verse 6, he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. Christ, the ruler of kings, Christ, the king of kings, has made us citizens of his kingdom. Not only are we Christians in Christ's kingdom, but all through Revelation, Jesus declares that believers will enter into that kingdom one bright morning. For those who persevere in faith, they will receive authority over the nations. We will sit with him on his throne. Revelation 5.10, the worshipers in heaven praise Christ for making us a people or a kingdom of priests. Looking around, we are a kingdom of priests to our God. And John also adds, and they, we shall reign on the earth. Kings conquer by reigning. All believers reign or conquer in Christ's name through the gospel. Kings establish their laws and Christians enter into Jesus reign. By teaching and obeying all that he commands. Here on earth. In our church. In our families. We are citizens of a kingdom. That is first and foremost our citizenship. We are not first and foremost Americans. We are not first and foremost Californians. We may have dual citizenships in this country or in another. Our first citizenship is in the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus. We follow his laws. Therefore, when the world brings laws to us that we feel are contrary to God's law, we say, no. You are not our king. Christ is our king. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are priests. We are priests. Let's, in closing, acknowledge this. We are priests who are offering something this morning. What are we offering? Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through him, let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, what is the, the, the offering that we're offering this morning? First and foremost, why do we first and pro- foremost come this morning? It's, I said it earlier, not to get your personal spiritual needs met. The primary preeminent reason why you and I are here this morning is to offer... A sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. You and I are here this morning to, with our lips, offer praise to the only one who is worthy of praise. That should be what, as you're getting ready this morning, as you're getting ready Lord's Day after Lord's Day, you should be readying yourself to offer praise with your lips to the only one who is worthy of praise. You should not be coming today say, I wonder what he's going to preach today. Well, let's see if he's got it today. Let's see if he's on today. You come not for you. You come for him. First, to exalt Christ. And then secondly, you are a chosen race. First Timothy 2.9 or First Peter 2.9. A royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What do we do when we come? We proclaim Christ. We proclaim, not me, not you. you. You should not come and hear me tell a thousand different stories. We proclaim Christ. 
We proclaim Christ, the excellencies of Christ. We are coming so that we might be conformed to Christ as we are hearing the word of Christ. And also calling unbelievers to turn to Christ. But then also as priest, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We offer a priestly thank you to God with the whole of our lives. What do we give to him? Our hearts, our minds, our souls, all of our strength. It is the whole of all that we are. We give to God as a sacrifice of praise, but as a thank you. It is your and my reasonable service. It's the reasonable way that we respond. We say, praise God. He loves me. But if that's not followed with an offering of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the whole of who you are, then it's just lip service. And we would be those whom the Lord Jesus Christ says, these people honor me with their lips. But their hearts far from me. Do you love him? Yes, because he first loved us. What's the appropriate response? Worship. And with a whole of our lives offered up to him. Why? In closing, for to him. Be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Grant Osborne, the adoration of Christ in terms of his glory and power reminds the reader that only he, not Caesar, or any earthly power is worthy of worship. For he alone can effect redemption. We are one to Christ by his eternal love. We are set free from our chains of sin and captivity. The guilt of sin has been dissolved by his blood. His grace and peace is given to us. He's made us a kingdom of priests. And we now sing together the glorious hymn of glory and dominion to Christ. It's a doxology. And it's appropriate. God reveals himself. His people respond with praise that is due to him alone. Glory and dominion belong to Christ. He has set us free. He has made us kings and priests. All glory be to Christ. Would you stand with me? Let us give him praise this morning in our songs, not just with our lips that we will sing in a moment, but with a whole of our lives. I pray that you receive this grace this morning. I pray that you have received this peace this morning. I pray that you are a citizen of heaven this morning. And that as John says, all glory and honor be to him forever and ever. Amen. That you can join him in that amen and say, yes, I agree. And it is so.